So, as we continue our study in Ephesians 3, I guess not continue, as we continue our study in Ephesians, and we move to Ephesians 3, we find that um, this passage, when I, when I first read it in context of tonight, I thought, wow, like my head just started to spin on a swivel. Like, this is not just like three points in a poem, easy stuff here. And so, let's read through it the way that I first read through it, and then we'll come back. So, Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly... When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that's a lot. But can we just pause and meet with Jesus in this? So would you join me in praying? Dear Lord, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the precious gift of your son and for the gospel that we could be partakers in the promise of Christ. Lord, we value your word. We know that it is you giving us exactly what is necessary for life and godliness. We know that without it, we could not find our way to you. But Lord, you've been so good to give it to us. And as we now, as your children, come to your word, we desire to meet with you and that you would meet with us and draw us close to you, that the things that we see in it, that you would use to conform us to the image of Christ, and that in all things that Christ would be exalted and you would draw all men unto him. We'll give you the praise and the glory for what you do in Jesus' name. So, in Ephesians 3, we find first three very interesting concepts here. So, Paul is coming through an amazing exposition of the gospel, of bringing Gentiles into Christ. And so then, in the middle of that, we see kind of a parenthetical statement. So he stops and takes a time out for verses 1 through 14 here. And so tonight we'll look at the first six verses of that, and we'll find a summary of Paul, then the reason for the pause, and ultimately it leads to a Messiah to praise. And so um, when you think first of Paul being, uh, Paul writing this to the Ephesians, Paul knows who the Ephesians are. So in these first three verses, it's a very personal thing. So I swiped some markers for my daughter, so I've got pink and orange here. But for Paul, when he says, I, Paul, two, this is going to come down to you Gentiles, 
So there's that relationship there, that I, Paul, this is a very relational Paul. Paul is saying, you know who I am. Paul lived among them. Uh, Paul, even uh, when he lived there, we find that he wound up jumping into the middle of a, a riot. And so in Acts 19, 29 through 31, it says, so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. So think for a second about what happened. So this is where uh, some guys tried to um, perform an exorcism to get a, a demon out of a guy, and then it just kind of starts to escalate. The, the Ephesians are um, turning to Christ. The church is very serious about their relationship with him. And now, uh, so there is a riot because they're realizing this is flipping their economy on its head. So Ephesus was the epitome of idol worship. So they were given the tremendous honor of being the temple protectors, that this was the city that was known for temples to false gods. And so uh, as Paul and those of the way are going and leading people to Christ and the gospel is going out among them, this is causing economic problems. So those that it's directly affecting are now causing an uproar. So Paul, seeing the uproar, jumps into the middle of it. It wasn't like, oh, that's a mess. I should get out of here. Instead, it was, I'm watching the sheep in my flock go through a difficult time for the sake of the gospel. And Paul is just trying to push his way through the crowd. And all the other disciples are all just, they're trying to pull him back. Like, no, Paul, we need you to not be in there. We need you to keep teaching the gospel. And so this Paul that is writing to those Gentiles He's saying, you know who I am. And then as he's talking about knowing who he is, he's saying, assuming that you've heard. So this seems like a contradiction, right? Because if Paul knows them that well, why does he have to assume anything? But when you think about it, when Paul was in Ephesus, the gospel went out to like all of Asia, what an incredible gospel ministry to cover that much territory. So to think that Paul, when he's writing this, he's not like writing it and throwing it out the window and they're right next door. Paul is writing this as a prisoner. So literally, this, the timing of all of this ties out to Paul in Acts 28 in Rome, in prison, writing to the Ephesians. And so in that gap of time where he wouldn't have been interacting with the Ephesians, the gospel is still going out. The seed is still growing. There are still more believers that are coming to faith in Christ. And so Paul is saying, look, I know that there are some among you that maybe haven't met me personally. And so this is a very relational thing where Paul is saying, you know who I am, so you know this message that I'm sending to you. So Paul, as a prisoner in, in Rome, writing to those that are still there, solidifies in saying that he is the apostle to the Gentiles. So 
there's no shortage of accounts of Paul's God-given directive to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. If you look in Acts 9, 15, he says, But the Lord said to him, and this is Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Again, in Acts 22, this is Paul giving an account. In verse 21, he says, And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And then in Acts 26, Paul is presenting the gospel before King Agrippa and Felix. He's expounding on what Moses and the prophets spoke of, the mystery of Christ. And all throughout that account, he is again just relating one story after another of how God called him, that he was seeking to destroy the church, but he was called by God to go out and to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. So, when we think of Paul telling the, the Ephesian church that he was given, we'll change this here, but when he's saying that he was given a stewardship, he's given management, oversight, he's given a responsibility to take this gospel, this mystery that has been revealed to him, he's taking it to the Gentiles. So, three times throughout all of this, we find that the word mystery is going to pop up. So this is a mystery. As Paul is coming through and he's presenting the gospel to the Gentile believers and he is telling them this amazing thing, why would Paul stop in the middle of all of that and talk about himself? Paul doesn't need for them to pat him on the back. Paul is not looking for more accolades he could certainly lay down credentials and impress them, but he wasn't trying to do that. Instead, as Paul goes through, he pauses to remind them who he is because they know him. And so in knowing him, we find the reason for the pause. So in verses 4 through 6, now I'm a rookie at this, so I was told, don't let it hit you in the face. Let's see if I can do it. There we go. Hey, look at that. All right. So, Paul is saying, when you read this, when you see um, this, this message, this mystery that I'm giving to you, don't overlook it. You know who I am. You know that I have come among you. This is a credible source to tell you an incredible thing. So, Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 6. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been uh, now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. So, think how overwhelming this message would have been to the, the church at Ephesus. So, now Paul is saying that this is going to the Gentile believers. Paul's speaking matter-of-factly about this great mystery that's been thought, uh, sought out by Moses, by Abraham, by the prophets. They've been looking to see what the answer to this would be. And Paul is saying it matter-of-factly as Israel, God's chosen people, a very special people, they sought this, and the message is coming to you. 
So the Gentile believers are getting to hear this all very plainly. In Romans 9, 4 through 5, he says, they, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So, do you realize how special that list is? Israel was giving every opportunity to know how to have a close, intimate relationship with God. How would we know that we trespassed against God's holy law except that he had given us the law? And he gave the law to Israel. Israel got the prophets. Israel got the Messiah. Israel is a very special people. So when he says, I, Paul, to you Gentiles, that carries weight. So again, in Romans eleven seven, he says, Israel failed to obtain this. So they failed to obtain what it was seeking, but the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So Israel. So then in verse 11, it says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. So when we come into this passage, and Paul is saying, when you read this, perceive my insight. So understand, when I'm telling you how incredible this is, realize that you were once sinners, that you didn't deserve this message to reach you, that you don't deserve that a holy God would offer you a path to peace with him. We tend to, as church members, as those that maybe grew up knowing Christ, we tend to overlook this. I remember as a teenager, I went on a missions trip to the Atlantic City Boardwalk. And um, it was close to where I grew up, so it was kind of like, well, that's not exciting. It's not like I went to Zambia or anything. And so, um, but I remember walking the boardwalk, and they had kind of told us what to say to share the gospel. And so, yeah, you start out by telling them, like, hey, can I tell you how God miraculously changed my life? And this guy just looked at me. He's like, what, were you a druggie or something? Like, 15? (laughs) No. Um, So it kind of just like, well, there went everything, and it kind of surprised me. But I stand here tonight and think, isn't God's salvation still miraculous? When you go back through that list of what the Ephesians were, when you think of where they, Paul is reaching a people who when a riot breaks out, 
they are um, calmed down by affirming that, well, listen, nobody is questioning how loyal you are to the gods. Like, this was a center of commerce for idol worship. So, they are burning their idols, and they're counting up, like, wow, this is an incredible sum of value that we have just burned up because we're now understanding our commitment to God. And so, when we think of how that was a dramatic change in their lives, if we look around this room and we start here, we realize that we are an angry people. We're selfish. We don't seek God. For our pride, for our comfort, we avoid gospel opportunities that he calls us to, that he leads us into. We lie, we cheat, we steal. We're adulterers at heart because we look with lust. Murderers. I think you're really getting into a heavy list. We're no more justified than anybody on that list. How humbling is that? We are not desirable. Because the best person in here, all of our righteousness is filthy rags in impressing a holy God. It's pretty discouraging, isn't it? So when Paul is telling the Ephesians that such were some of you, that you were separated from God, that you never even sought him until the gospel reached into your heart. So then, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, he gives us that same list. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the, the Spirit of our God. To think that you who were once sinners, you who never sought God, are now saints because of what he has done for you. So church, brothers, sisters, may we never overlook how amazing that is. To think that if I were left to my own heart's desires, my life would be destroyed. To think that outside of God's grace, I sought to destroy my own life. And yet, God did extend his grace to me. That while we were once those things, now we are washed and sanctified and justified. That that old man who used to live inside of us is no longer there. That he no longer has that power over us, should I say. So, Paul is telling them this incredible message. He pauses for a second to remind them, look, this isn't just made up. This isn't some obscure thing that you're hearing from somebody. It's not a too-good-to-be-true story. But instead, he's saying, you know who I am. I've lived among you. And this incredible message is now coming to you. 
So rejoice in it. Don't run from it. So this is a literal rags-to-riches story. This is literally going from our filthy rags of a sinner's best efforts to reach eternal riches and glory. And this story would seem too good to be true. So the question is, how is this possible? So finally, we see a Messiah to be praised. In Ephesians 6b, he says, And they are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So remember, we all obtain the promise, the outworking of the mystery being revealed when we are found in Christ Jesus. So how can this be? This is all possible because of the gospel. So a few months back, I saw a video where it was just all about the gospel and uh, the American gospel and, and all how it gets obscured and, and watered down and everything. And so uh, somewhere in that video, they showed um, a church that their life groups, when they would get together, they would always share the gospel. Somebody would just randomly share the gospel to rehearse it amongst them. So it was always fresh. And we've started to do that in our life group. And it has been an incredible blessing to me personally just to hear. It's like Fanny Crosby. Sing them over and over again to me, the wonderful words of life. And so hearing the gospel rehearsed weekly just brings us back to an appreciation of how great this change is. So, can we pause for just a moment and rehearse what is this mystery of the gospel? The gospel. A holy, perfect God who needed nothing outside of himself created a perfect world and he saw that it was good and he made me and saw that it was very good when he made man. But man, seeking our own pleasures, removed God as being king of our lives. We rejected him, making ourselves enemies of this holy God. And in that enmity, we shook our fists at God and said, you will no longer be in control of me. I will seek my own pleasures. I will reserve the right that I will be angry at my neighbor. I will destroy anything that gets in the way of what my selfish ambition wants. And I, pursuing my own desires, would have never pursued after a holy God or a relationship with him. And therefore... I would have never known eternal life. But God, with the great love wherewith he loved us, sent Jesus Christ to the earth to die for sinful man. And when he came, the angels declared, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. You want war, but God wants peace with you. Peace, goodwill toward men. And so, when this Jesus, God in the flesh, died in man's place, he bore the complete wrath of God for our sins. That he was buried, and three days later he rose again, conquering death and the grave, taking my full sin's punishment on his own body. 
offering up not a word when he could have fought back and rejected the whole plan. But his great love for me took my sin in my place so that whoever would call on the name of the Lord would be saved, would be spared from God's wrath. And to God's praise, to Christ's glory, would know fellowship again with this holy God. How incredible is that? These Ephesians are hearing this, and Paul is rehearsing it to them, to say that you Gentiles, you the ones that the circumcision look at you as being kind of second class, you that you had no part in all of these benefits given to Israel to this point, you that nobody looked at as anything special, you who, not, who were not desirable, you now are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul pauses to explain to them, I'm telling you something that is so incredible. Let me remind you that you know me. You understand that God called me to bring this gospel to you. On the road to Damascus, when he saw the vision of the Lord, and he tells him, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the pricks? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. When he's telling Ananias, I have a purpose for this, Saul. It's to go out and to bring the gospel to Gentiles. So when we think of this mystery, going to the Gentiles, everything that happens throughout here is God's special plan for you to know how to reach and how to have a fellowship and a relationship with him. And all of it is to obtain the promise in Christ Jesus. How? Through the simplicity of the gospel. So how do our hearts respond to this? Revelation 5. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Here's our heart's response. And that we would hear this and look forward to the day when we join this chorus in first person. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. 
This is an incredible message that Paul is sharing with us in Ephesians. And so, as we go through it, realize why Paul had to give a summary of Paul. The reason for the pause. And then, as we go from here, that we would fully understand there is a Messiah to praise. And would the Lord help us to do our part in lifting that praise to him in thanksgiving for what great things he has done in our lives. So praise him for what great things he's done in my life. Can we pray? Dear Lord, you are so good to us. When we don't deserve this, that you would faithfully love us and pursue after us. Lord, I pray that you would empower our church to take this message of the gospel, to go out into a world that doesn't deserve it, but that we would pursue you, and in that pursuit we would bring others with us rejoicing in the gospel. And we thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, 